from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, hosted by David Heath, Gretchen Brooks, and me. I'm just DB Spitzer, just here to. I don't know, put the show together and help everyone. You are the glue that binds us. Well, I was just going to say, I'm just just here to help people uh, get interested in books and learn about the Cthulhu mythos and, you know, maybe get people interested in a horror movie they haven't seen or uh, if people love a horror movie, uh, maybe talk about it so they can go, yeah, that's the way I feel too. (laughs) Anyway. So, let's get the show on the road, you two. Uh, how how has your week been going? Anything fun and interesting going on? Well, I survived climbing. Um, was it La Terrell? How do you pronounce that word? La Terrell, La Terrell Falls. Oh, I don't know this one. Yeah. La Terrell. I don't know, you guys. It's spelled A L T O U. R E L L. And it's up there by um, the Bridal Veil and um, Angel's Rest. Oh, I don't know this one. Oh, it's like a gorgeous fall, waterfall. Um, I saw it in your pictures. Yeah, I climbed. So I climbed. That was like three miles. Holy crap. That's all switchbacks and stuff. Jeez Louise. Who? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep these falls a secret. So I'm going to bleep out the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds too cool to share with that. I mean, it's it's a pretty. I mean, there's it's a pretty normal area like okay. up there. All right, all right. I'll leave it in. I'll leave it in this. Time. <laughs> but yeah, it was um this awesome like Monday. I decided my my friend and I were like normally we go hiking, and so we were like, oh, let's go up to the falls. And I was like, oh, I've never done. I mean, I've done like you know the Multnomah Falls and things like that. The thing that everybody does. And she was like, oh, we should go to this one because it's not many people go to this one. And it's because it's not an easy climb as well. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's not not it's not hard, but it's not easy either. And it's not super sure. tourist friendly because it's like a very narrow area, and the path is incredibly narrow too, the entire way. Okay, and I the didn't Sasquatches know. throw things at you. <laughs> What's that? No, I. Oh, oh, that. Speaking of Sasquatches, you reminded me. Last Sunday, I went to Enchanted Forest. <laughs> oh, nice. 
Oh my gosh, my friend that I, uh, my friend JT, he he's also one of the volunteers for the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, but okay. he um he's the director of the short film that I was um I did the voiceover work in. Oh nice. But um he had never been to Enchanted Forest, and boy oh boy did we have a good time. Oh good. Nice. <laughs> it was so great. He was like, this is earnestly like the most fun I've had out of like this kind of thing. He like he had he was so blown away by how like loving everything was, like how hand how handcrafted a lot of things were. We love he loved the um haunted mansion and the just the kind of overall like nostalgia kitsch of the like the seventies aspects of the rides. Nice. Yeah. I'll be super honest. I have Look. never been to Enchanted Forest what? unless I've been on heavy hallucinogens. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I never went as a kid. It wasn't something that like my family could afford. Yeah. And I never went there, but I did have friends when I was outside of high when when I was like uh graduated from high school who were like, "Hey, let's do mushrooms and go to the Enchanted Forest." And so I'm you have, like, like no idea what it's actually like at this point. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I have no idea. I've seen pictures. I couldn't imagine like, doing that on mushrooms, just saying. Yeah, yeah. And we also explored the ape caves on mushrooms, too. But I've been there <laughs> not on drugs and before and after, so. <laughs> well. Don't do drugs, people. Don't yeah. do drugs and then go to places. It's not always a good time. It It, it can It can really be bad. I didn't have that experience, but you could. So anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, this weekend, I did not do hallucinogens. I haven't done hallucinogens for quite some time. I'd, I'd have to say a couple of decades is what I'm going to lie about. And uh, But I did go to a uh, weekend farmer's market uh, out in Ridgefield, Washington, which was oh, a really nice. bad idea because the Clark County Fair was going on at the same time. Oh, and dang. Really close, and there was no one there. The only people were there were the people who were working there who were also like, I'm not going to make any money because the Clark County Fair is going on. I think I made less than $20. <laughs> so I, I, I was able to pay for the booth and help pay for gas and but not get enough for lunch so <laughs> dang and then last night i went to the whole scene in southeast portland and watched the tear uh puppeteers for fears uh oh gosh, how was that show of cthulhu it was pretty fun at first i was like all right i get it it's it's a nightclub show They've got puppets that say "fuck." I got it. I got it. They they did a thing where they just like you know to get everyone used to it. The puppets just like swore a whole bunch just so you'd like be like, all right, okay, I get it. And then the puppets were kind of raunchy at first, and I'm putting my hands out and waving them around like puppets, but no one can see this. Uh, and <laughs> anyway. Uh, they they uh, gender swapped a character and made them move from one story and had them meet a character from another story. And so you have Inspector Lagrasse and then uh, uh, 
Angle's uh, nephew, who's now his niece, and they're going to go try and find uh, 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 this this island. So it's 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 interesting. It, it's a musical. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, no, I I had a really good time. At first, I was like, this is bullshit. This is boring. This is a, just a puppet show. And I didn't have a really good seat at first. And uh, so I just kind of like closed my eyes and listened to it like a podcast. Like mm. I didn't have to uh, look at it. And, it. and I was like, oh, wow, this is like really good. I can just imagine whatever. But then I'd look up at the screen and go, you know, these puppets aren't bad. And I'd look at another screen if I stood up and moved around. I couldn't get anywhere near the stage. It was solid. Mm. Um, so if you see them, get in there early. And, um, but yeah, no, no. And the story got better. It's at at points in time, it would be like very Lovecraftian and other times it'd be like a silly, dirty puppet show. And then other times it would be like strange and weird musicals. And no, it, it really kind of ran the spectrum of like, uh, kind of like dumb, raunchy puppet show to like well-crafted Lovecraftian musical that just happened to have puppets. Huh. Okay. It, it was amazing. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Huh. I didn't think I was going to at first and I just wanted to check it out just so I could be like, oh yeah, there's a puppet show about Lovecraft stuff. Uh, whatever. So you could be one of the cool kids? Yeah, 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 no. But then apparently I went all there. of Portland went is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, all, all the cool kids were there, and we all liked it, so, yeah. Well, good. Yeah. What, um, I'm not to, not to, like, but I'm just curious, like, what stories, that, what Lovecraft stories was it? It, it? it was, um, it had a little, a little twinge of At the Mountains of Madness, but it was mostly The Call of Cthulhu. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. Well, yeah, the, the, well, I'm glad you took one for the team and saw it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the narrator for the story was a Shoggoth. Oh, how fun. So, yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. So kind of the catalyst and the driving force, because otherwise there's, there's, there's a few plot holes in the Call of Cthulhu. I don't know if anyone's noticed that at all. Yeah. <laughs> you mean the part where he got run over by a boat? Well, yeah. he just dematerialized and then rematerialized. It's like Hanna Barbera's Godzilla cartoon is like that. Like one minute Godzilla's like head is up to his shoulders in the ocean. Next minute he's like standing, and you're yeah. like, "All right." <laughs> I loved that Godzilla cartoon with Godzuki. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I I thought that was amazing. Anyway. I was like four at the time. <laughs> right. So what are we talking about this week, Dave? So we are talking about a city in Hungary that Ooh. I can't pronounce. <laughs> okay. As All right. Well. I've tried. I've been trying to think about how it's pronounced, like going based on like what I've what I know of like anything language wise, I guess. Because mm-hmm. um, there's like. The Stregoi, so is it it's is it Strego Kevar? I think yeah. it's Strego yes, Kevar. It yeah. 
yeah. Does that does that sound that's, okay? That's enough? that's what I've pronounced it as the in, in the past. All so. right, sounds good to me. We'll go with that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, trying know, to use any other word reference that I know. Sure. No. Know who else didn't know much about Eastern European languages? I'm gonna uh, guess Robert E. Howard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is coming from a guy who celebrates Robert E. Howard Christmas. Oh, Do you sure. really? We have in the past, yes. Oh, that's we have cute. A, we have a, a instead of a Christmas tree, we have uh, a tree of woe. Oh my god! <laughs> my husband would love that. He like he loves Conan. He when he heard that we were going to be doing this Robert E. Howard show, he's like, "Are you guys watching Conan too?" I was like, "No, not no. right now, but like probably at some point." Oh yeah, that's one of my picks because uh, I love Conan. Like, I I remember seeing Conan in the drive-in. <laughs> so, you guys, I have a question for you. I'm not, I've not actually got to read this entire story. I only got about halfway through it because we decided we're gonna run early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the things that I wondered is like, this seems so different from Robert E. Howard's other stuff. Yeah, this is yeah. like. For me, this is uh, something Dave and I have talked about in the past. This is Robert E. Howard trying to write like Lovecraft. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. That's what I was trying to figure out because he was doing the the narrator of we don't know who this narrator is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Now I understand because I was like, why does this feel so weird? <laughs> like. Yeah. Yes, and so this is so Howard and Lovecraft never meet, mm -hmm. but they are so close that Lovecraft writes the eulogy that's read in Howard's funeral. Oh. And, and the thing with Robert E. Howard, we think of Conan, we think of these. He made more money writing up Western comedies than anything yep. else. He jumped, he would just, he understood the market and he would be influenced by people and he would jump around. And it's argued that he really only has two mythos stories, the Black Stone and the Thing on the Roof. Yeah. Uh, and so this is right after uh, he's introduced to Lovecraft. And it, yeah, it's definitely, it's basically his attempt to write a Lovecraft story. It, it definitely like reads like one for real. Like oh, yeah. everything from like, the I mean the village aspect to me has a very um like uh because I guess I, I it might be influencing my um my how I'm perceiving this but uh because of I was reading something about how territories are now displayed in in Hungary and Romania and whatnot mm -hmm. like where this area would have been this witch land um, mm -hmm. would have been and where yeah. um Dracula was actually. Is that does that feel right? Like this is Transylvania or whatnot? I, I was I, reading somebody had read this comparison saying that like the um where the map lays out, like where this is where Hungary is in this story is where Transylvania was in the story from Ram Stoker. Eh? So as as far as land boundaries go, I haven't seen that. Um I like that idea. I think that's a really cool idea. 
I think that's yeah. a super awesome idea that there's this this older, older evil that may be responsible mm-hmm. for vampires. Well, especially it's- because like the people of this town are were considered like they were not human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Lovecraft story. <laughs> Uh-huh. And block story, and like they all seem to have one of these towns that were like decimated, that were are, are destroyed, or their its own evil imploded, or whatever the case may be, and they all have like new towns that are built on them that are influenced by the former. Yeah, evil yeah. Was there. Clark Ashton Smith doesn't. He has you know the capital city, the new capital city, and the old. Yeah, yeah, city yeah. That no one goes to, but the thieves. They're like, let's go. And then they're like, oh, yeah, this is why we don't go to the capital city. I don't have an arm. <laughs> this might be because my, my like I said, I'm kind of, like I've said many times on this show, it's like I'm still pretty new to, like, um, a lot of this. A lot of the other writers that are part of Lovecraft mythos or have created sure, sure. aspects yeah. of Lovecraft mythos. So my conclusions that I'm drawing are pretty, like, I'm grasping. <laughs> no, no, no. I it's It's always awesome to have a fresh look at this stuff because, for me, it feels like some of this stuff is so old hat, and I feel like I've gone over every inch of it. And then you come along and say something like, oh, yeah, all these guys have this story that's like this. And it's like, yeah, they do. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. I forgot that was a thing of the mythos. But, yeah, no, it's awesome. And, and, and I think you're right. And to be honest, the, those borders get me really confused. If sure. it's pre, you know, Cold oh. War. Absolutely. In fact, in fact, I think I I read this in my young twenties the first time, mm-hmm. and I remember going, "Did the Muslims really get as far as Hungary?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know the who Turkish else? The invasion t- was pretty prolific. Yeah, yeah. But you know who else ties it? So there's he mentioned that it's built on an, an ancient the ancient city. Um, Zuthlan, Z-U-T-H-L-T-A-N. Yeah. So in the 70s... Are we talking Marvel Comics? Yes, Roy Thomas is in charge of uh, the Conan Comics. Savage Sword of Conan. he ties it together. And where he has Conan go to Zuthlan or whatever the name of the city in the country of Hykeria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And mm. he encounters the monolith. Yeah. So the monolith, though, is that something that plays out multiple times? And doesn't is there a monolith? Isn't there a monolith in a Lovecraft story? Okay. So spoilers. It, yeah. So spoilers. Okay, people, it's a spoilers. Okay. The monolith is a steeple. Yes. It's a huge uh-huh. temple built underneath, and it's the top of the temple. It's huge a- ancient. Temple it's actually that... a steeple. There's something more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love air... those kind of reveals. <laughs> I do too. It, 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 like the first time I remember seeing something like that and it really hitting me was seeing from dusk till dawn, where you find out that the strip club is just the tip of the iceberg for literally like an ancient temple yeah. Yeah. on the side of a cliff. It's like, what? And, and, and yeah, and then I read this like shortly after and I was like, Oh, okay, okay. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing too is that the Black Stone is the first reference to Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And he, of course, added that as a tribute to his friend Lovecraft, who mm-hmm. was just, to use Lovecraft's word, tickled pink. I don't know if that's actually what he said, but yeah. So, <laughs> so Lovecraft, Lovecraft then adds it onto the thing at the doorstep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Wasn't there like a tie-in onto the thing on the doorstep? Yes. Yeah, okay. Ar- Arkham Sanitarium. And I think he mentions Justin Godfrey, which is the poet that goes mad. In, in the yes, he, yes. Says, he says something about like so-and-so um, saw the black stone or, something, or the black monolith or something like that and spent his time raving in an asylum or something like that. Yeah. Am I right? Eh? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yay! I'm retaining. All right. Yeah. But don't no, go no. there on midsummer night, y'all, because you go insane and die. <laughs> Definitely don't sleep there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I I love this story. It's it's like it has like a frog monster in it, and I love Lovecraftian frog monsters because. Yeah. They're always related to Sathagwa in some way, and Sathagwa is my guy. Well, and also, <laughs> like, in Hungary, like, the pagan, I think, like, during that time, like, the the Strigoi, the, um, like, the witch, kind of, the witches there, yeah. like, um, wasn't uh, one of their main goddesses, wasn't the Hecate or something like that, and she's, like, mother of toads? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I think that's like, does that, is that what Robert E. Howard is kind of drawing upon as well? I don't know what, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so Howard, it's very well read, right? Seems like it. But he's limited to basically the books that are in the Crossroad Texas library. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So they got limited information. So the theory is that at the same time he's introduced to Lovecraft, he's also introduced to Clark Ashton Smith, and that he's doing this as a tip of the hat to Smith. But he never comes out and says it. Okay. And and it could be... I mean, and and, and I I love Bobby Howard. Yeah. I I love Bobby Howard. (laughs) But I'm not, Bob. I'm not sure how much information he would have had in the 1920s and 1930s in, in you know, Crossroads, uh, Texas about, um, you know, Hecate. And I, I just I'm not sure how much information he would have had access to. But he certainly yeah. had access to Clark Ashton Smith, who wrote about Sathagwa. Absolutely. OK. So maybe it's like drawn from like he maybe Clark Ashton Smith has drawn it from mythology or whatnot. Oh, I would help, definitely, I would like to think that definitely. Because... Clark Ashton Smith uh, loved mythology, like all sorts of mythology, mm-hmm. and could Full read and uh, at least French. But um, yeah, no, no. Clark Ashton Smith is your your uh, one who knows that like people who live underground. With toads, yeah, no, 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 no. He's 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 the one who like mixes mythology and creates like just crazy things in the Cthulhu mythos that are like feel like something more out of Greek mythology than than Lovecraftian. And he's he's a Bay Area boy, yeah, and so he has an access to much more 
you know, libraries and, and books and universities than, uh, than uh, you know, Howard. Not necessarily love fire. And you know what? I, I'm kicking myself in the butt. I said crossroads. He was, of course, cross planes. Okay. That's okay. I've, sure. I've so many times made so many of those little like verbal yeah. like whoops. Yeah. Um, I have a dumb question or maybe it's not dumb. I mean, it's yeah. Wasn't there a okay, wasn't there a short film done by um oh my gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Um he did he direct he was he directed uh, Colorado Space. Richard um, Stanley? Richard Stanley didn't he do a film called Mother of Toad? Yes, he did. It was, it was, it, it was, and that is a um, based on a uh, a Clark Ashton Smith short story, and it was, and then it was one of uh, several shows that was in a movie. But yeah. Oh yeah, I was in that bazaar of the bazaar thing. Yeah, that like um or that um what is it called? Um <gasps> that French word von Gouli no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gosh, but... what is that called? It's like when you have watch a bunch of scary things, it's um we even have a oh Guggenau, excuse me. Guignol. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't yeah. there a and great some... Guignol? Yeah. That has and, and, oh, and he takes a yeah theater of the bazaar. That's uh, it. Thank and you. And he took a lot of liberties with the story. Uh -huh. Yeah. But yeah, that was based on a Clark a and at least the title was based on a Clark Ashton Smith. Okay, because I mean that's what I kind of drew from um, visually when I was thinking about where this town was and the people and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> that tells and, where my and, mind goes. Absolutely, because they're, they're both Stanley and Howard are drawing off of Smith. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sure. sense. Yeah, no, I think that that's an excellent connection there. Thank yeah. you. And I, I, I think uh, Justin Godfrey is supposed to be Arthur Mackin. Oh. It's a theory of mine. Oh. Um. It could be definitely inspired about it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Howard knew who Mackham was. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a theory that uh, Justin Godfrey's either supposed to be uh, Mackin or Clark Ashton Smith, but I, there's there's no like pun in the name. There's no like. <laughs> it's 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 not like. Uh, Red Sonia is supposed to be Sonia Green or anything like that. I yeah. mean, it's 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 like it just gave him a dignified name. <laughs> and, and, and if it's not them, or maybe maybe all the above, maybe Robert W. Chambers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I definitely think it's sort of a stereotype of the decadent poets I oh mean, sure definitely. yeah yes very much so um yeah yeah uh any any guesses on who the narrator might be oh no i figured he's just some 
I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's that was a hard one for me. I just figured it was like a witness. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think it. I mean, arguably, there's a field of thought that all of Howard's heroes are him. Yes. Um, and definitely, there's some of that. He's trying to impress Lovecraft. Maybe mm-hmm. how he sees Lovecraft. I haven't seen that in writing. Um, what I don't think, though, he has ever been tied to any of his other characters, like Steve Cargan and and characters from other stories. Okay. I, I keep thinking that it's 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 maybe because of the fact that he's trying to uh, um, impress Lovecraft that it maybe be someone like um, Henry Carter. Armitage or uh, Randolph Carter is is just where my 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 brain my my head okay. can goes that it's like oh yeah it's Randolph Carter telling this story or it's 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 uh, Doctor Henry Armitage. Like, you know, telling people about it or like writing stuff down to put in the restricted uh, uh, restricted uh, media section. Anyway, I, I could see, I could see that and I definitely see it, the narrator as a Lovecraftian hero, mm-hmm. including the fact that his name is never given. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one thing is, and this is just my head canon. Yeah. Howard's writing style is so different than Lovecraft. Honestly, I oh, like yeah. Howard's writing better than I do Lovecraft's. Yes. Yeah. As, as, uh, as do I. Yeah. You know, I think it was David Drake who said, you know, uh, Lovecraft may have written for the ages, but, you know, Howard wrote for the masses. He wrote so the regular person could relate. Yeah. And so just because the writing styles are so different, I don't really see him as an existing Lovecrafting hero, but now maybe I need to rethink it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I was I I'm with you guys. I I feel like um their his writing's better. <laughs> yeah. I was I was more captivated by this story and I honestly mm-hmm. hadn't read very much Robert E. Howard, so mm-hmm. but I do feel the um Lovecraft tinges in there for this sp- specific story. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and, and like I said, a lot of people just say that this and the thing on the rooftop are, are the really only mythos stories that Howard wrote. But I, I see a lot of mythos in other stuff he wrote too. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but this, this is like very, very, this is like a love letter to Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. It, th- th- this is Hold My Beer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I, 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 yeah, no, as as we've all said, as as everyone said, or not everyone, but many people have said, I wish there was more Robert E. Howard that was like this. I wish there was more anything that was like this. This is a really cool story. But yeah, yeah, no, the stuff about like um, the, the mercenaries or the holy men with the uh, steel 
uh, blessed by Allah. I mean, it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I, I definitely can see this is like, this is a white guy who doesn't know much about Muslims, but sure, yeah. 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 But other than that, like, um, it's, I find it to be, it's a pretty compelling story. Sure. When I get to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> They're standing on the cathedral. The cookbook is made of written for people. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, yeah, no, uh, that's uh, uh, drag. Strago Kavar. Strago Kavar. Strago Kavar. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. I'm going to go with that. And I'm sorry to everyone who is, um, anybody who is watching this on the show that is of, uh, speaks Hungarian. And I just yeah. totally butchered that. Yeah. Just... It did better than I would have. Totally. <laughs> All right. So up next, we're going to be talking about them. Who? Them. them. But we do have something before that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dave, what do we got for the middle section? So we're going to be talking about the first time travel story written by uh, oh, uh, Edward Page Mitchell. Whoa. The clock that went backwards. And okay. Mitchell's strange connection to Ed Asner and Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, that sounds awesome. All right, and then after that, them. In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes, they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. 
sort of have a weird thoughts and I wondered what was the first time travel story so fortunately I have this thing you may not have heard of it it's called the internet haha ha, that's me being ironic because you're listening to me on the internet right now probably but um so I looked it up and the first time travel story is the Clock That Went Backward, written in 1881, or published in 1881, by Edward Page Mitchell. So, Mitchell was an editor for a newspaper called The Sun, and we'll get to that, um, and why you might even remember that. But... In the 1870s, he was riding on this train, and this cinder flew out from the stack, went through the window, and hit him in the eye, blinding him. And then he loses sight in his other eye, sort of what they call sympathetic blindness. And so he has surgeries to fix that. And in 1871, while he's recovering... He writes this short story called The Tacky Pump. Now, I have not read The Tacky Pump. I, I have read the story that we're going to be talking about. Uh, but The Tacky Pump is this story about this guy who is in love, or Tacky Pump, I guess is how it's pronounced, who's in love with his math, math, his math teacher's daughter. And he goes... He wants to marry her, but his math teacher says, no, you're not good enough in math, which is, of course, the lament of all suitors, that they just, they could get the girl if only they were better at math. And so he works with to come basically create something that can go faster than the speed of light. And, you know, they don't call it the speed of light, uh, back then, they called it infinite speed. And, and basically, it's... And I haven't read this story. I've read, this, like I said, the story we're talking about. But my understanding is he basically makes a bunch of, like, train cars that stack them on top of each other till it's like a triangle. And it keeps going in a circle and circle until it goes faster than, you know, what infinite speed or, I guess, speed of light. And, okay, and that might seem a little naive to us, but, you know, this was like 35 years before the theory of relativity, you know, it kind of says that in space, you know, light is the, the limit. But it also has this machine that can write sonnets and do math problems, and it's called an android. And 
it's not the first use, I guess, of Android for a machine, but it's one of, one of the first. And again, it may not seem that breathtaking a story, but it was written in 1871. In 1884, he writes what just might be the first cyberpunk story in Fetchin' 1884. It's called The Ablest Man in the World, about a person who is basically surgically enhanced with a clockwork brain. Uh, it's Flowers for Algeron in 1884. Now, I haven't read that story yet, and I, I'm definitely trying to hunt down those two, but I have read the story I want to talk about. So let me just really quickly say where you may have heard of Mitchell before, which was a New York newspaper, and it is most famous now for having put in the editorial, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And if you're not familiar with that story, I mean, true event, a young girl named Virginia writes the son and asks, is Santa Claus real? And uh, Church, the, the editor, wrote that, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, and he names all the good things in the world and says, that is Santa Claus. So he lied, but he didn't lie. Well, Mitchell was Church's boss. He was kind of like the chief editor. And in fact, in the 70s movie, Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus, he was actually played by Ed, Ed, Ed Asner, Luke Grant himself. So, okay, so that may have been where you've heard the name. But he was in the late 1800s knocking out these science fiction stories including the one that I want to talk about which is The Clock That Ran Backwards. Now again, remember this was 1881 and he writes this story you know, he's basically the editor and back then newspapers had a lot of things like you know, fiction you know, I believe Dracula was originally published in a newspaper. Uh, but poems and just things like that. So he had space, so he wrote this story. And I'm guessing that more than likely this is the first time you've heard of this. And I'm actually going to let everybody at the end know where you can listen to this or, or get a copy and why it sort of endures. But... Yeah, this is going to be a 140-plus-year-old story, but it's going to have spoilers. So, in a lot of ways, like Lovecraft, Mitchell's narr a narrator in this story has no name. He's just telling the story, and he could be anybody like Lovecraft's, or most of Lovecraft's, this is a first-person perspective story. So growing up, the narrator and his cousin Harry spend their summers at their, their great-aunt Gertrude's place. 
And Gertrude is this old woman. That, you know, the narrator jokes. You don't know if he she's you know sixty or one hundred and twenty. They just she seems to be this just always been this old lady who tells these stories about their family history as if was there and had lived these experiences. And, you know, in some cases, these events happened centuries about, you know, how the family came from, from, you know, the Netherlands to America. And so she has this clock that just does not work. And so they spy on her one night and basically they see she's getting to first base with this old grandfather clock. And, well, that's weird. And then she dies. And so she leaves the narrator, basically her stock. She's got bank stocks, and so she's got a little bit of money. And she leaves Harry this clock. And they're kind of, like, surprised because, like, Harry's her favorite. And all that's in her will is this clock. Um, and so... Um, they think, well, maybe there's like money in it or something. So they, they check and there, there's nothing, no treasure, no gold or anything. It's just this clock that doesn't work. That the only time they ever saw it work was, you know, the day that she died and the hands were going backwards. So Harry and the narrator, they end up in Holland, going to university there, and they've got this teacher named uh, Von Stott and they tell him the story and this is a real city, a real university uh, where I guess the Portuguese invaded and it was a, a port city so everybody was looking at the Portuguese fleet on a stormy day and the Portuguese basic sappers went in and put dug a tunnel and put bombs underneath the, the city's wall, blew it up and the somebody found the hole before the you know the Portuguese could come in and storm and take over the city, and, and that's a, a true story. And you know the we're probably most familiar with the sappers and tunneling and putting explosives, you know, in the Civil War at least here in the U.S. where uh, the Battle of Crater, uh, where they set the explosives under the Confederate and it didn't go as planned but in this case apparently it was everybody was so fixed on they were distracted by the Portuguese fleet and it was a stormy day that they didn't know where the hole in it was until this guy who found it and they were able to put reinforcements that stopped the, the Portuguese from coming in and so their teachers taking them around and Harry says oh this is so important this is where Everything changed. This is what saved the city. And he just has this sort of almost psychic realization of how the battle went down and what was so important that saved this city. Now, Harry is kind of a ladies' guy, and so he's more interested in flirting with, you know, the Dutch girls than he is with school. And uh, this is what they call in writing parlance is foreshadowing. So the narrator and their cousin is sort of chilling with their teacher, uh, whose name is Van Stop, and they tell him about this clock. 
And the teacher says, well, we're going to do what, you know, your, your Aunt Gertrude did, and we're going to try to start it and do, and the hands of the clock go backwards, and then wham. The narrator is kind of in like a dream space, but it's not. He's there when the Portuguese attack hundreds of years before, and they're walking around, and everybody's so concerned, and they want to go get the mayor because... You know, he's obviously not defending them from these Portuguese. And there's people say, well, let's just give up and stop being Dutch and become Portuguese. And they meet this girl who is beautiful, but they kind of remind them of what Aunt Gertrude would have looked like if she was young. Dum, 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 dum. And so Harry saves her from the mob, and it turns out that she's the mayor's daughter. And as you can guess, then they meet the guy who made the clock. And he is, or he looks just like their teacher, Van Stop. And so the explosion goes off, and Harry and the narrator know exactly where the Portuguese are going to you know, go in through the walls. They point it out. They stop him. They save the city. The girl falls in love with Harry. And the narrator comes back in time to present, which I guess, you know, 1881 at the time, without Harry. Leaving, you know, this sort of question, you know, did Harry, was the girl actually... Aunt Gertrude traveling through time and maybe given long life by the clock? Or did Harry start their family line? And, you know, was the clockmaker really Van Stop? And, yeah, this is a very troporific story. And if it was written now, it would be almost hackney. But this isn't. I have said this before. I'm going to say it again. It was written in 1881. So all these time-traveling tropes that are played out now, Terminator, you know, butterfly effect, they were brand new. So, of course, then Mitchell writes the story. Thank you, Ralph. Ralph approves of the story. And he writes the story, and he becomes famous, and he affects science fiction. Or not. So the first time traveling story gets stuck somewhere in the pages of the sun is read by some people who probably said, oh, that is cool, and then promptly forgotten. Then, almost a hundred years later, 90 years later, a science fiction historian, wow, that's a thing, I should have become a science fiction historian, thank you, Ralph, finds it and republishes it in the 70s with some of other Mitchell stories. And so this question comes out. Did H.G. Wells know this story? Did this story inspire the time machine, which was pretty much up to then thought to be the first time-traveling story? The conclusion is probably not. It would have been very difficult for, or rather surprising, if this obscure regional newspaper had gotten across the pond and into Wells' hand. So probably didn't influence at all. 
so, but we do have this sort of trope. And like I said, there's a lot of tropes here. The grandfather's, uh, the grandfather uh, paradox, uh, the butterfly effect, time travel, the clock, a grandfather clock as a time travel device. You know, and we see this in, you know, through the gate of the silver key. Did Lovecraft know of this? Maybe it makes a lot more sense that somebody, you know, in New England would have run across this story. But if he did, he never mentioned it. So, like I said, this story basically disappears into obscurity for almost 100 years until it's republished. Now, if you're interested, because the story is public domain, I find that probably the best way, what I did, is there's about six or seven versions of it being read on YouTube. Uh, just, you know, type into YouTube, uh, the clock that ran backwards, and you'll find quite a few different stories. They're all nearly word for word the same. They all run almost, I believe it's 36 minutes. Um... And if this was a brand new story, it would be good try, junior in high school. But when you think of it in the where it came from, what it was, what it was first, then yes, absolutely, it's worth a view when it is seen in context. And, you know, I basically told you the story. You, you probably, I mean, if you've gotten this far, you know how it ends. But it's a good, solid, well-written story that, you know, makes you really wonder. Um, Mitchell was basically an editor. But how would science fiction have been changed if he had dedicated himself completely to fiction, what if he'd been like Nathaniel Hawthorne, who, you know, wrote Rappuccini's Daughter, one of my favorite, you know, 19th century science fiction stories, or The Birthmark. Definitely, you know, man, maybe, maybe sometime, another dimension, there is time travelers who go back and get Mitchell to focus on that. And if that is... I bet they've got a really killer sci-fi library in that dimension. Right. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so... It's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, 
They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. Dave and D.B. and Gretchen go to the movies. Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song. Hey, everyone. We are back, and we are talking about them. Uh, 1954... What's that? Who are we talking about? We're talking about them! Exclamation them. point. Pointing. Yes, we them. Yeah. <laughs> 1954 black and white science fiction movie produced by Warner Brothers. Um. Yeah. Uh. What? 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 What can? Uh, what can you tell us about this, Dave? So. Okay, I grew up in Ventura County. For those of you who do not know this, this is right above L.A. County. And I grew up at a time before cable television. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. L.A. market was basically one of the biggest markets, TV markets, in the country at this time. So it supported like a whole seven channels including, you know, the big three and PBS, but a lot of local channels. So these local channels had to basically find stuff that they could show cheap. And one of them, of course, was them. So it would be on the air all the time. And I remember being like 10 or 11 on the beach, and, you know, where, you know, we play, you know, uh, you know, Star Trek or, you know, play Soldier, but we also played them and that we <laughs> fought off the ants off the beach with our flamethrowers. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. That's awesome. That is awesome. You just made this film like a hundred times better. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I saw it once when I was like five or six and went, okay, cool. Science is awesome. We killed them. <laughs> I think I saw this in like um, maybe so you know how there's I think there's like this films that have been like where they're switching through the channels and them has always been on the screen yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. But having kind of delved into this man, this is a great like this film has some like some moments. Um, it does. 1954 was a big time for kaiju films. Them came out in July and then um, Godzilla came out in November of that year. Yeah. Both atomically themed films, both with giant radioactive creatures. How, like, the synergy of that time was just amazing. But, like, this one, whereas this one has, like, an Oppenheimer aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Godzilla is more focused on, like, the what the results of the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. Absolutely. So, yeah. What's that? No, I was gonna say absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting that like these this this happened to kind of 
that during 1954 we were having like that well what if actually like radioactive stuff really actually messed up the environment that we that happened and then created these monsters i just found that to be like completely compelling nobody i hadn't seen anything on this and i mean having all my years of done doing like the kaiju cast we never covered them at least when i was on this show while i was watching it nope sorry no no go ahead while i was watching it today i was just like wait a minute this is aliens this is aliens yes (laughs) this is the movie alien i rewatched it yeah, and wow, the set for this was really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, I like love... the underground tunnels and all of that, and like the I was I was really admiring my favorite scene. This is so dumb. I loved beyond like seeing the of course the monster itself, like seeing the the ants and the giant like me. Um, yeah. Beyond that was there was a scene where they're standing in this train this train car where the the sugar theft has happened. Forty tons uh-huh, of sugar uh-huh. is missing, but like the wall of the of the train car is busted out. And one of the characters accidentally bumps into that floppy prop. And uh-huh. it's almost like a moment of hilarity. I'm sure he was like, God dang it. <laughs> but I just thought like those kind of things were so ding dang charming from like, there was so much detail put into this. And I watched like the internet archive version of it. I don't know if that, how oh, the, the, uh, the colorized one. No, it was black and white. It was still oh, black I watched white, the colorized was, uh, one. It was nice and like crisp, but it almost had that like look of um. Do you remember like how like the old like um stage production Twilight Zone? Oh okay, yeah. okay, gotcha. Yeah, had those kind of like those aspects where you could tell some of the scenery was painted in, and then some yeah. of it was actually like they have these like pieces of paper that are in front of you, and you're like, oh, like kind of like a stage. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, no. There's there's a scene that I find really charming of when they like blow something up to get down into a hole and the hole has like a little ledge here and a little ledge here and a little ledge here but it was just like they blew something up and it just happens to have all these little ledges that they can just climb down yeah those are those are charming things adorable yes but you can definitely tell that this was made pre-vietnam definitely Oh, yeah, this screams 1950s all over the place. Mm -hmm. What I found progressive about it was that they, um, Dr. um, Dr. um, Pat, uh, Dr. Medford. Yeah, Pat. She was I was like, well, she's a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what made me think of like, I'm a doctor. Yeah. This is what made me think of aliens, which. Ripley isn't a doctor, but she's someone who's seen the threat before and knows some things. Yeah. So she's treated as someone, uh, somewhat of an expert. But this this woman, she's she's a she's a doctor, and she has you know a lot of knowledge. And it's it's like there's so much of this that reminds me of uh, JRPGs, where you have like the oh I'm the old father who knows all kinds of things, and this is my hot daughter who's a <laughs> princess or a mystic or a healer or something right like that. right yeah funny enough when you're talking about him like the, the doctor um harold medford yes did you guys not okay maybe it's because i've seen it too recently but like d- there was something about his performance that r- brought to mind i'm stuttering what the heck mm. uh anthony hopkins dracula character 
his Van Helsing was just like, I swear to God, he must have watched this film and was like, this is a persona I'm going to use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. my God. Every detail, like when he first arrives, how he like takes advantage, like rushes through and is very rude, but he's also like knowledgeable. And so they're like trying to accept his reality. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was crazy. I found that yeah, to be no. really funny. That, that, uh, they, they had an amazing cast. They did. Oh, but just, okay. I thought that character, that aspect that he was, because he was almost like Germanic and, but I mean, we're in America, you know, 1954, yeah. but yeah. the character had kind of a, a vibe. Didn't you? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I like it. Yeah, I, no, no. I, I remember thinking, recently. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking that he was German, but I was watching it this time. Well, wait a minute. No, that's not a German accent. Medford's it's like a, a fake English, but not quite German, but not quite transatlantic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm trying to remember what else he's done, but I recognize his voice Everything. from things. I, yeah, no, no. I know he's been Santa Claus, and I know that he's been in Lassie movies, and but there's like uh, science fiction movies that he's been in because I recognize his voice from like... Uh, techno movie uh techno songs and stuff like that oh weird i'm like wait a minute that's from that's and it's like oh it's from like suspense or creeps by night is where where i recognize his voice it's like uh radio broadcasts and techno songs <laughs> and i'm like hey i know that guy <laughs> oh my gosh he has literally been in everything yeah 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 I, I was looking like at his filmography. It's yeah. crazy. No, it's yeah. it's insane. It's like going all the way back to like 1916. It's like, yeah, long before there was sound. <laughs> wow. And then was kind of towards the end of his career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not even like like he, he went from silent to sound to color to. Yeah, no, the last thing he did was in uh, 56, 1956, but yeah. Wow. So he is British, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe that's why we were all like, this accent is crazy and all over the place. Yeah, yeah maybe he was trying to do a German accent, but his British accent got That's what away. I'm saying. You guys yeah. need to go rewatch Dracula. Um, Francis Ford Coppola. Is it Francis Ford Coppola? Yeah. Yeah. Dracula. Go rewatch that film. And like, just watch Anthony Hopkins' opening performance as his character Van Helsing is introduced. It is okay. exactly beat for beat. It feels like the way that Doctor Medford is like brought in. Okay, all right. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I mean, I could, like I said, I think it may be because I've watched it pretty recently, yeah. but I feel like. I because you know because Anthony Hopkins kind of a big old character actor, right? Like oh, at, sure, at times. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like he was definitely feeling this as one of his like inspirations. It definitely could be. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> it could again be like the synergy yeah. of the world aligning. Yeah. No. You, you know who else was in the movie? Oh, Leonard Nimoy. Mm. Yeah. I I tried to find him. I couldn't. But he's a, a sergeant in the the military. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see him at all. Yeah, apparently there's a uh, YouTube clip that's about two seconds long that I didn't feel like watching. (laughs) (laughs) I thought another... Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. I was just going to say like other random stuff about that, about this film I thought was interesting was like, this was like the era of where like the government knows best. Just listen. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they sent an FBI agent to our small town and we're just going to help them out. Well, no problem at all, officer. Yeah. And then people were just like willingly and accepting just, oh, yeah, you know. The government he, says stay inside. Yeah. All right. Going to the loony bin, as they called it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. The drunk <laughs> tank. <laughs> and, and speaking of that. Yeah. Bess Parker. Yes. Yeah. Bess Parker as the the crazy guy. Not yeah. crazy. But he's actually the only sane person, but they, they lock him up. Yeah. Yes. It is reported that Walt Disney went to see this. Because he was thinking of having, uh, oh, um, James Arness as in Davy Crockett, but oh. he was so impressed with Fess Parker's one scene that he gave the part to Parker. Oh wow! Oh. And it's also said, and, and I I don't know if this is true, but it, it's been a rumor for a while that John Wayne loved this movie. Huh? And really. That, that he suggested that James Arness get the role of the sheriff in Gunsmoke after watching this. Okay. Uh. That's okay. That makes some interesting sense why. Okay. But let's talk <laughs> about the star. Sandy Desher. <laughs> Sandy okay. Desher as the them girl. Man, them, them. Yeah. <laughs> I think she steals the show. So right off the bat, she's all yeah. name dropped. Exactly. Yeah. I thought Roll that was credit. hilarious. They were like, "Oh, must be formic acid." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The MacGuffins they have in this are so good. So, so Sandy Desher had actually been acting since she was three. Really? Okay. She'd been on stage three. And she plays the daughter in uh, like the the Loretta Young show, uh, the Phil uh, Phil Silvers Donna Reed show she was on, uh, a lot of series. But when she was eighteen or nineteen, she fell in love. Okay. And she said, "You know what? I've done my thing in Hollywood. That's it. I want to have a normal life." So her her parents owned a clothing chain called Michael's. They basically sold in California like Hawaiian tropical clothing. Uh-huh. And she became the um, the manager, her and her husband became the manager of the Michaels in um, oh um, Palm Springs. Oh, and, right. um, she had two kids. She's still alive. Uh, but she said, you know, that was my life then, and you know, more power to her. She just stepped away from Hollywood. She doesn't do, um, she doesn't do conventions. She doesn't. I would love. I mean, it's completely her life, and I respect that. But she's like one of the last living connections to the last of old Hollywood. That's oh. true. I would love her to write some sort of, you know, something for history. But you no, know, she's just happy. She has no you know social media presence she just you know she did her hollywood thing that was fun now she just wants to be a mother and a wife and as far as i know she was married like 60 years 
I think her husband's still alive. I don't know. But, you know, yeah, she just went on. Uh, I think she could have maybe had this great career, but for herself, she probably made the right decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, especially that time period when women. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So oh, another my. trivia fact. Sure. That they were, it was originally going to be a colored movie. Oh, okay. But they, they realized that they ran out of money at the end. And I think it's so much the better that it is black and white. Oh, it's gorgeous oh, in yeah. black and white. You can hide more things and like, uh, yeah, definitely. I yeah. love like the puppets and the, they probably would look, they look better as black and white. Yeah. And, and it was originally going to be 3D. Yeah. Can, that yeah that's why cool. there's so much things like written, like the flamethrowers being straight onto the camera. Yeah, because those were going to be 3D effects. Yeah, with with the opening sequence being black and white and then having a red and blue them just kind of mm-hmm. pop I out. I thought of that the was screen. cool. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like it's going to be 3D after that point, and you can kind of feel like, oh, there's parts that point at the screen, and yeah, no. <laughs> it like wasn't her screaming them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so another trivia thing. That's it's it's my turn to do it. Okay. Uh, Fallout Three uh, has a uh, side quest with giant mutated ants, where a, a, a kid named Brian Wilkinson runs up to you and is like, "Everyone's gone. What happened? Those? <laughs> no kidding. Yes. That's and then you have hilarious. to fight giant ants in the DC wasteland." And get down and kill the queen. And yeah, I remember playing it and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like aliens. <laughs> yeah. So, do, does anyone remember the Amiga computer? Yeah. yeah. My friend had a, a Amiga back in early, early 90s, late 80s. Mm-hmm. And there was a video game made for the Amiga called It Came From the Desert. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they actually made it like a cheap movie based on that. Oh, no way. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, they It Came From the Desert is based on them, of course. Including oh, yeah, yeah. you have to shoot the antenna. Yeah, yeah, that's something that you have to do in Fallout 2 is you have to shoot them in the antenna. But, yeah, um... According to Wikipedia, uh, Rodan was based off of them. Really? Yeah. Which I, I mean, I, I, I can see like <laughs> I'm okay. Like thinking on Rodan, I there are elements that mm-hmm. I can see that could be very Rodan could be based off of. Mm-hmm. I'd have to definitely research that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's people go missing and then doctors go look for them and then it's like what's all this thing and then yeah two people get killed and oh no it's it's this guy got murdered and yeah then contrails in the air and all kinds of fun stuff and everyone's like what's making that noise and I don't know I I can see how like. I'm 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 just like going through Rodan in my head and it's like there's aspects that I could see, but also at the same time it's like Rodan and not ants and I feel like Rodan's the exact opposite of ants in some ways. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, in the sense that, like, okay, so, like, things like, because bomb testing is what basically created these ants or created mm. them, yeah. bomb testing is also what kind of created the whole, or woke um, Rodan. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, and then there was the military involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I could see. People go missing. The, and it's... There's some, like, definitely, like, I see it parallels for sure. Yeah. And and it all feels like very reminiscent to me. Like all of this stuff feels very reminiscent of um, the uh, 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 Dunwich Horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how you have like people reporting this thing and no one can see it. Like it's literally invisible until they like throw the dust of Ibn Ghazi at it. But prior to that, it's like this unknown thing that no one can say what's going on at Cold Creek Glen or over at the, you know, farm over here or down over there. It's it's and there's people investigating it like there's there's like uh, three professors from Miskatonic University who are the only people who are like even noticing that this thing's going on. There's no government involved or anything like that. It's just like three people being like. We got to stop this before it gets any further. I don't know if that's the first instance of we got to stop this before it gets any further, but that's something that them really has, that Alien really has, that Rodan really has, um, that that you know several kaiju films really have, yeah. and it's it's that we got to stop this massive thing that we don't understand, but ultimately we're probably responsible for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. the people have done it should have been like, yeah, we should have locked Wizard Waitley up a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Probably so. Yeah. But yeah, I no, mean, that's... That time period, though, was all, like, I feel like every um, giant monster film of that era, like, not... not uh, not every okay woof that would be a that's a everything means every all the time but no i mean a lot of um showa era like t- style films in general seem to be very oriented around um the nuclear bomb testing and atomic energy and things like yeah. that mm-hmm. i think it's because we were super super afraid of all the effects of what we knew we had unleashed oh yeah, yeah. There's because that's what like, horror films are, right? Is a reflection of like our fears yes, of the era. Uh, absolutely. And we were super afraid of like, I mean, the atomic testing. And like he even mentions it in the film. He's like, he even says, "Well, uh, there was just nine years ago there was atomic testing." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, I think that that was what this kind of preyed upon was the American like understanding of what we had done um, with like what these bombs could do. Mm-hmm. Wild. Good and that was just in the middle of nowhere. What if people, yeah. yeah. What could it do to anything else? Yeah. What could, what, what could it do to like, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's another, definitely a deeper show episode. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but very that, good pick, though. Good pick. I like this one. I hadn't yeah. seen them in, in its completeness. I've only seen, like, like I said, I'd only seen like aspects of it. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a good, fun story. Um, something you can easily like have on in the background, but also like be drawn into. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I, I'm doing stuff, but I'm also like, oh, 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 they're doing something besides driving. Yeah. Check it out. 
and luckily it's 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 it doesn't waste your time no it doesn't that's another thing is that even though i would try to do something else i'd find myself drifting back to it because this was more interesting of a story and they were using the time well and yeah they weren't trying to like they weren't trying to trick up the audience at all it was like they were just forwardly telling the story no this wasn't a b movie that only had 45 mm-hmm. minutes worth of footage that they're trying to expend to an hour and a half this is like a legitimate movie it's yes. beautiful it's a war production that you know didn't get made into 3d but they were gonna i mean it's 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 beautiful it's a beautiful film even and it has some sharp writing oh yeah, yeah yeah no no it's 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 some really good writing and even colorized it you get that kind of like uh effect of like blues turning black and purple and stuff like that but i think that's cool i love watching that kind of stuff that's me though uh, but yeah no this is an awesome kaiju film this is an awesome yep. nuclear scare film this is an awesome cold war uh propaganda film i mean this is it, just it, a good monster movie and in a lot of ways it's a translation of the 50s war movie yeah mm-hmm. but the enemy is not the japanese or the germans they're giant mm-hmm. ants yes Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for picking it, Dave. This is a good yeah, one. Yeah, such a fun film. Such a fun film. Uh, I think next week we should watch House. Or House Sue. Oh, which one? Because you you have House on your list and I have House Sue on my list. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said House Sue. Oh, House Sue. <laughs> yeah. Not the, William, not the William Cat movie. Yeah. No. Okay. There's no greatest American heroes in this one. <laughs> it's a good one i hope you guys like have you guys seen it i haven't, no, I haven't seen it in probably about two three years but yeah i've 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 seen it i've seen it i love it so much that i've had birthday parties themed after it just oh saying. wow i i actually <laughs> in one of my shops have a house cliff shirt which is the uh house cat but it's heathcliff oh the, the comic I book character <laughs> I think I might need to buy myself that for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much again for listening and coming to the show. Before we leave, I want to read some listener mail real quick. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It's 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 a good one. Let me pop it up. All right. Bad Shark Blackhand, a.k.a. Phil writes... Dave, DB, and Gretchen. Hello, Gretchen, from Phil, a.k.a. Bad Shark Blackhand. I'm overdue in welcoming you to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I just listened to your last three back-to-back, and I am reminded why you're my favorite Mythos podcast. Loved your discussion of Dune 1984. DB, it's also my favorite version due to the cinematography, actors, and music. Great reviews of The Silver Key. Shobnigaroth, Kathonans, Bubba Hotep, Dave. I devoured your review of archaeologists and sci-fi, but it was tantalizingly brief. Have you ever read Andre Norton's Forerunner books? Perhaps you could add them to the audiobook segments. Finally, Gretchen, I share your love of Meow Wolf. I've been to the Santa Fe installation four times, and I can't wait to see the other locations. Stay squiggly, Phil, a.k.a. Bad shark, black hand. 
Hi, Phil. <laughs> well, thank you, Phil. That is Thanks. very nice of you. So, yeah, Phil's a longtime listener, longtime fan. And right on. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's awesome to hear about Meow Wolf. That's really cool. I'm, I'm hoping to make it to at least one installation. Um, we're glad that you're uh, that we're your favorite Mythos podcast. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Dave, have you read any Andre Norton Forerunner books? I don't think so. I'm going to have to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to have to check that one out. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Well, everyone, especially Phil, Bad Shark Blackhand, thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with um we're gonna be talking about stygia but i don't think historic stygia i think robert e howard stygia so oh, and watching the movie house and watching house yeah <sighs> all right oh cool so we'll see you all next week have a good one everyone see you then see ya all right that was a good episode yeah